You're listening to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. We continue only with your help. Visit mortificationofspin.org to make a donation or call 1-800-488-1888. That's 800-488-1888. You are listening to the Mortification of Spin. This is Todd Pruitt. I am pastor of Covenant Presbyterian Church in Harrisonburg, Virginia, and I am joined by Carl Truman, who is pastor of Cornerstone Presbyterian Church in Ambler, Pennsylvania, and professor of church history at Westminster Theological Seminary. We are also joined by Amy Bird, the housewife theologian, and we are here to uh, have a casual conversation about things that count. Um, Carl, I was thinking just uh, a little while ago, you compared me um, some time ago with uh, a particular American a rock and roll star of the 70s who also had a brief comeback in the 90s. I won't mention who it is, um, but um, it got me thinking. Uh, that would make you maybe something like uh, the Elton John of, oh, uh, of Reformed no. Theology, right? Ooh. You know, so. I, li- I listened to this radio channel in, uh, in uh, Philadelphia, uh-huh. 102.9 MGK, that boasts that it's a classic rock channel, mm-hmm. and they continually play Tiny Dancer by Elton John. <laughs> and in no possible universe is Tiny Dancer a classic rock track. So you would have preferred maybe the David Gilmore of Reformed Theology or the Roger Waters. Robert Plant. Robert Plant. Robert Plant. Robert Plant. Yeah, yeah. Keith Moon. Well, I mean, the, the, possibly, Carl, but to me, you'll always be Elton. <laughs> well, without giving away your secret uh, doppelganger, uh, Todd, I would say you'll always be a dead ringer for him as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Good. That's good to know. And of course, we have the Pat Benatar of yes. Uh, yes. Reformed Theology here. The and actual Bird. cool rocks. Right. <laughs> so um, we're all uh, here. We're in a secret bunker in um, in uh, Virginia. Um, and Quite uh, close to the CIA headquarters. Quite mm-hmm. close to the CIA yeah. headquarters. We are rather concerned that they're listening in. No, um, it's the CIA. They, if, if they were trying to listen in, they, they couldn't possibly arrange for that. To <laughs> they're, they're too busy listening in on just average American citizens right yeah. now. Um, I do think I can hear a drone flying. In. I'm slightly worrying. <laughs> exactly. Well, that's just one that, uh, oh, see, I was about to make a joke that's going to offend um, some of our potential listeners, and I caught myself and didn't say it. I'd say that's progress. Maturity, Todd. <laughs> yeah, Maturity. It is. It is. It's, uh, I, I think, Carl, I think you would have gone ahead and said it, but I stopped <laughs> myself, and uh, uh, I, I expect to stay in the good graces of my particular brothers and sisters. Uh, I like a man who sold his soul to rich people. Absolutely. Always, always makes me feel so much more superior. Absolutely. My makes goal. me feel like a vegetarian. My, my. <laughs> Sorry, a person who lives on a plant-based, plant-based diet. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Well, I want to maintain my popularity, so here goes. Well, um, this is a subject that we've touched on before, are going to touch on now, and I would imagine we'll, we'll talk about again because of its place of importance in the body of Christ, and that is the, uh, the subject of preaching, particularly um, thinking through a theology of preaching, what what is God doing in preaching? Carl, kick us off with some thoughts. Well, one of the, the, the issues I wrestled with when I was dean at Westminster Theological Seminary was uh, the issue of how is how can the seminary produce better preachers? And there are a lot of aspects to, to that question. Uh, one of them that I became very convinced about was that it's not enough for Uh, potential pastors and preachers to learn good techniques. Foundational to to developing the right techniques of preaching is 
an understanding of what preaching actually is. That preaching, I, I, I think there's a tendency for us to think of preaching as primarily a means of inspiring people or a means of transmitting information or a means you know, of doing both. And not realizing that, that, that preaching is first and foremost, I think, it's, it's an act of God. God is the ultimate agent in the act of preaching. And therefore, one needs a theology of preaching that grasps that fact, because that will both regulate what one does as a preacher and also give one confidence in what one does mm-hmm. as a preacher. Thinking of the first Helvetic Confession of 1566, mm, yeah. uh, where the, the, we're told there that the preaching of the word is the word of God. Now, Heinrich Bullinger, who wrote the confession, didn't think that preaching was the same as scripture. But he was making the point there that when the Bible is expounded and preached by somebody called to the task, Mm -hmm. it is a powerful and dynamic word from God. It is in itself powerful and transformative. So the first thing I think you need to do when when we're thinking about preaching is to make sure that that basic foundation is is hammered down right from the start. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and we are given a, a really vivid image of this, of course, familiar passage to many of our listeners, I'm sure, but in God's instructions to the prophet Ezekiel, preaching to this valley of dead bones, and and as he preaches, as he proclaims God's word, uh, there the, the, the rebuilding of this vast army begins. And of course, the image is that God's word is powerful and it brings to life that which is dead. And the preacher in our own moment in redemptive history can say and should have the same confidence that when the word is rightly preached, God is bringing to life that which is dead. He's birthing faith in the heart of the unbeliever. He's sanctifying his people. He's breathing life into that which had no life. Uh, before. And that's a powerful thought. And and as you mentioned earlier, therefore, when we're talking about preaching, we're, we're talking about far more than, uh, than technique. And one of the frustrations, and you and I have talked about this before, is that so much of the counsel that is given to young preachers today by certain well-known preachers tends to just really focus in on certain techniques and contextualization and uh, um, uh, convincing and uh, personality, persona, even fashion. We have the, uh, the website Pastor Fashion brought to us by Ed Young in Texas. Um, so what we're talking about is something entirely different, that God is at work in preaching. Yeah, and I think the, it's a fair point to make, of course, that that technique and things like that are not unimportant. There are there are technically very bad and poor preachers, right. but the theology has to be upfront and central, I think, mm-hmm. in the way we think about preaching. And Amy, we're we're sitting here talking as two uh, ordained men who preach regularly. Uh, the point about the theology of preaching, of course, applies in many ways to those who listen to preaching as well. I mean, it, yeah, it truly shapes it to, how one thinks about preaching. You know, just um, a woman picking her husband. You know, if we're going to submit ourselves to the preached word of God, we want to pick a good man. <laughs> we want to make sure that we are going to be um, sitting under somebody who is faithfully preaching the word of God. And listening to you guys talk made me think about um, just the idea of actually 
being present. Because as you're talking about these sermons, I, you know, I know people who say, well, I don't always get to church, but I listen to a lot of sermons. Mm. So what would you guys have to say about those who are not physically present while listening to sermons and feeling like that is maybe just as good? I think there, I'd make some distinctions there. There are some people who can't get to church mm-hmm. due to health reasons or uh, sometimes work work shifts, works of necessity, Even nurses. marital and, problems. Or, or marital problems. And in those situations, I think it's good that we now have, have the internet. Mm. We have the ability to, to listen to sermons online. It used to be cassette tapes or CDs. Now we can listen to it online. And I think in a situation where somebody really can't get to church on, a, on any given Sunday or perhaps even can't get to church regularly, it's a great supplement mm-hmm. uh, or, or, or a great aid and help mm-hmm. to have that. I do think, though, that... In itself, it's not the same as being in church. There are other aspects to being in church other than the preaching. There's the fellowship. There's the singing of God's praise corporately. There's being led in prayer. There's uh, uh, celebrating the sacraments uh, together. Uh, I also think that there is a certain confrontational aspect about preaching when the person is standing physically in front of you that is lost as soon as that presence is mediated through something else. Uh, and I would apply this not just to people who stay at home and, and listen to, to sermons online, but also to those who go to these ghastly satellite <laughs> campus things where you, know, you, you, see the, you see the big man on the TV screen preaching to you. Well, I, I'm not sure I can articulate why it is, but it is not as confrontational to watch something through a TV screen as it is yeah. to see the person. You see this when you... If, you one of my favorite American plays is uh, Streetcar Named Desire by Tennessee Williams. I've seen the, the Marlon Brando uh, version many times on the TV screen. My wife and I, maybe 10, 15, maybe 15 years ago now, went to, to see it on the West End stage in London with Jessica Lange in, in the, uh, the lead uh, role as Blanche Dubois. The power of being in the theater when the actors are there, you can almost reach out and touch them. Uh, is vastly greater than watching the same thing through a TV screen. So I think there is embodiment and presence are are important. The theology of preaching, that's Mm -hmm. important, but also being there. Having the preacher catch your eye, know that he's looking straight into your soul. That's what I was going to ask you you guys next is um, just wondering when you get up there behind the pulpit and you – uh, maybe are going to have a rebuke in your sermon that you mm. know is going to affect some people in your church. Is it hard? Is it difficult? Like, do you feel a, a little bit of fear there? I mean, I don't know that Carl's too worried about being liked, but, um, you know. That's that's a very hurtful comment. <laughs> but to, oh to be as bold as um, your um, office requires and then to, you know, also be able to offer that grace yeah, it's yeah. How it's, difficult is that? It's not easy, and and I'll even find myself at times when I'm having to say some hard things uh, because the text demands it that I'll I'll kind of avoid eye contact. I'll still scan the <laughs> congregation, but I'll kind of look at their eyebrows, um, and and some of that's just the natural kind of tendency we have. Some of us have to 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 kind of retreat from certain kinds of 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 confrontation. That said. Um, I'm also comforted by the fact that if I'm preaching the text faithfully and there's a rebuke in the text that therefore I must preach and try to bring to bear 
on my life as well as the life of the congregation that I pastor, um, that this is simply faithfulness to the scripture that God has us in this text for this day for some reason that may be known only to him. And therefore, there's a freedom uh, to bring that to your people, knowing that God has loved us by giving us this rebuke in the text, and therefore he's continuing to love us by bringing it forth through the preaching of, of that text. And, and I found by and large that most church members understand that and appreciate that mm-hmm. and are grateful for that. Well, and having your congregation presently there, mm-hmm. making the eye contact, I, has to have you rely yeah. on the Holy yeah. Spirit while I, you're I can't delivering exactly. means of grace. Exactly. I can't imagine preaching to people through a, a screen. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and honestly, I can't imagine sitting and watching a screen. And I think it, it's more and more problematic the younger you get because a screen is just so singularly associated with entertainment. Hmm. Well, that's a good point. And I, I just don't know, you know, again, Marshall McLuhan, the medium is the message, uh, maybe an, an, an intentional overstatement, but it's a very good and helpful overstatement. And I, and I think that when we regularly put preaching on a screen from a preacher in a remote location, um, when it's not necessary to do that, that, we 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 may be um, doing a great disservice to our people in handicapping their ability to hear the word preached as it ought to be preached, rather than seeing it as something that just comes through the screen like all the other images they see. I think there's also a, a question of uh, how do you refine your sermons for your your congregation mm-hmm. comes up and on the one hand we need to hold on to the fact that that god's word is god's word you preach it and the holy spirit will apply it mm-hmm. as and where necessary to the people who are gathered there but i also think that there are specific applications that sometimes have to be made and i meet typically before a, a service i meet with the elders at my church and we don't meet to discuss the congregation but sometimes one of them will say oh mrs x has had a bad week because such yeah. and such has happened or, or mr y is struggling with this and i have on occasion when i get up in the pulpit i look out and i'll see mrs x or mr y there and on the spot i'll think you know i was going to preach a sermon this morning where I really hit hard on something, but these people, that person needs some encouragement. Mm-hmm. So I, I you know, I, I'm never, I, I preach from fairly skeletal notes and I'm never even tied to those notes. I will modify my sermon if I know of pastoral struggles in the congregation. Mm-hmm. Other times I will make very direct applications. I had right. an incident just two days ago. One of my elders said to me, so-and-so in the congregation uh, thought you were getting at him when you said such and such. Mm-hmm. To which my, I didn't give this answer, but inside my head, I want to ask, so the question is, so so why did he think I was getting at him? <laughs> right. The reason he thinks I was getting at him is he's committing that sin. Right. And I put that in there because I know he's committing that sin. Mm-hmm. And man, he needs to be carpet bombed on that. Yeah. So knowing your congregation and getting that eyeball to eyeball contact is important. And on occasion, typically like Todd, I try to avoid eye contact, but on occasion, mm-hmm. both for for comfort and for rebuke, on occasion I have zeroed in eye contact with the person I'm thinking yeah. about as I've made a brief application yeah. so they know Truman is talking directly to you right. at this particular right. moment. Yeah. Yeah. I I I so so this this Sunday, Lord willing, I'm gonna be preaching 
uh, Psalm 13, six verses, and it begins with, How long, O Lord? In the first two verses, David says it four times. How long, O Lord? How long, O Lord? And even though I'm new at the church I pastor, just a couple of months, um, I've gotten to know a number of the parishioners well enough to know that there are some really precious people out there who are going to be sitting there Sunday morning who are lifting up that plaintive cry themselves yes. in their own life. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to be able to look them in the eye um, and be present with them in that moment. And as, as I preach David's cry, knowing it's their cry as well. And there's something I wouldn't, it's for, for me, that is part of preachers who are called to preach are blessed by that calling. We, preachers who are called to preach love that moment because we, God blesses us in that. Okay. And for me, one of the blessings of a preacher is to be able to be present with that sufferer as you address uh, passages of scripture that, that help them to suffer well. And I don't, you can't do that through a screen. You can't do that through a screen. And, and, the people who are members of this church um, ought to have a preacher who is physically present with them so that when he's preaching Psalm 13, how long, O Lord, he can look right at that young lady or that older gentleman or whoever, and and they know in that moment that uh, that we know they're hurting and and that we've thought of them as we've prepared that sermon. There's something powerful and relational that... That's that. That's a gift, not only to the congregation. It's a gift to the preacher. I I wouldn't want to give that up. I don't know why anybody would want to give that up. Well, you know, people talk about wanting to hear from God, mm-hmm. and um, I know you guys have discussed that in an yeah. earlier podcast. And um, here is the opportunity right. every Sunday morning, Absolutely. to sit down and receive God's right. word. And right. you know what you just explained is such a a passionate, mm-hmm. compassionate. Exhortation too to to continue to move on, which I really see in the um, the sermon letter to the Hebrews, which um, reading in uh, Dennis Johnson's book, "Him We Proclaim," mm-hmm. he just has a great chapter teaching on uh, preaching right. by going through the sermon letter to the Hebrews. Yeah, yeah, it, it's it's fantastic, and actually, you know, as we think about helpful books on preaching, that is certainly. One, Dennis Johnson's book, Him We Proclaim, is 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 just an outstanding uh, book. But yeah, you know, I I just I would never want to give up the uh, the personal presence with the precious people that God has saved and and in some case, in some sense entrusted to my care. I don't, I don't want to be with them in a remote from a remote location. I don't want to satellite it in. Yeah, and I think you also put your finger on something very important there. You say that the Lord is entrusted to my care. Mm-hmm. Uh, teachers will be judged yes. more harshly because they have greater responsibility. And part of that responsibility is teaching and applying the word to individuals. Yes, yeah. we, we speak to congregations, but we have to give an account for the words we give to our congregations because it's individuals who pick those right. words up and will run with them. Right. And, you know, a man who pastors a congregation of 10,000 people, 
He's going to have to be, give an account mm. for each of those souls. My congregation now is between 150 and 160 on, on a Sunday. I'm already beginning to feel a bit overwhelmed right. in that I don't, you know, I'm beginning to slip in terms of knowing everybody's name. Right. I don't know what's going on in everybody's life. I'm not able to pray in the informed way that I used to be able to pray yeah. for the people. We're having to divide the labor among the elders much more. And it's a great problem to have as the, as the church grows. But on the other hand, it brings huge responsibilities mm -hmm. with it, not just a preaching, but also, dare one, I hate to use the E word, eschatological yeah. responsibilities, yeah. responsibilities for which we will be held to account Absolutely. at the end of time. Absolutely. And, well, you do understand that you're not going to change the world unless your church is much, much bigger. Right? I do understand <laughs> that, yes, I have no desire to change the world whatsoever. <laughs> That's um, right. I, I felt like having you know, a, a phrase, you know, transforming the culture, <laughs> One sermon at a time. There you go. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Well, and uh, honestly, you know, that's part of what we're talking about here is that God does great work through the preaching of his word. And, uh, you know, Amy, as, as you've uh, brought it up already, um, you want to hear from God? We'll sit under the preaching of his word. He promises to speak to us through the preaching of his word. And I, and I know that that's not as spectacular as going for a walk in the, in the woods and having Jesus dictate a book to you. Um, but God has attached promises to his word yes. and to the preaching of his word that he will speak to his people. Uh, what, a, what a privilege. And that that is part of the ordinary means, that how God builds his church and builds disciples. Um, Carl, we were right, right before we started recording this, you and I were talking about a, a particular book on preaching that we've both appreciated. Um, tell, uh, tell everybody what that, uh, what that book is. Yeah, the book is uh, entitled Preach by Mark Dever and Greg Gilbert, both of whom I would like to emphasize are Baptists. Absolutely. Uh, we like to give the Baptists a good shout out on this program. They do we've some good preaching stuff. They do stuff. some good preaching yep. stuff. That is a great book on, on the theology and practice of preaching. It's very brief, very straightforwardly mm -hmm. written. The best chapter for me is the chapter on sermon introductions. And what Mark Dever does there is he provides one of his sermon introductions and then goes through and analyzes it to show the reader what he's doing, how he's indicating to the various constituencies in the congregation, unbelievers, young believers, old believers. Mm -hmm. uh, he's indicating to them how he's going to speak to them in the, the subsequent sermon. So it's a great way of learning how to, to get your congregation's attention uh, before the main part of the sermon. I get the young guys at my church who are going forward for ministry to read to read that book, give them a free copy of it, in fact, and, and ask them to read it. It's, it's excellent. Yeah, it's really helpful, and, and it's unique in its approach, as you've already described. And so you have Mark Dever and Greg Gilbert uh, critiquing. Who are Baptists, by the way. They are Just Baptists. to mention, and, and, in case they, we forgot to mention yep, that and, earlier. And, they're, and they, are, they are awesome brothers in the Lord, too. They are. I love them to bits. Yep. And, guys. and the thing is, is that they are, so, so the, they'll, they have sermons, sample sermons in there that they've each written, and then they, they interact with each other's sermon, um, talking about what they like about it and what they don't like about it. And it's it's like a it's like a little clinic there in print, and so that it, it does that in a way that I don't know I don't have another preaching book that that really does that, and so uh, really highly recommended if you want uh, a, a book that that is both um, doctrinal in that he's they're really advocating the theology of preaching, but also has this very very practical approach to it. Uh, you preachers out there would uh, would be well served if you if you got that book and and read it. So let me ask Amy, what do you as a, a consumer 
of <laughs> sermons uh, rather than a preparer of sermons. What, what do you look for in a good sermon on a Sunday? Well, I look to be totally stripped by the law and convicted and then totally clothed back with the gospel oh. of grace. Uh, that's the most important thing to me. And I, that's how I remember a sermon too. Hmm. Like I'll remember where I was convicted, where I've fallen, and then how I was encouraged to persevere and continue because of Jesus Christ. And, um, you know, I like to have a little bit of a fight in a sermon maybe. Like I, I'd like to hear, I need, I need the hard truth. I'm not the person who can sit there and feel comfortable and then walk away and say, oh, that was that was a good sermon. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the mamby-pamby <laughs> kind yes. of preaching. And, you know, I think, again, Hebrews is such a good illustration of that. Like one of my favorite verses is, therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen mm -hmm. your weak knees. And, you know, it's kind of like, man up, <laughs> get back up again. And I know that that's pulling from a verse in Isaiah, but it's also a you know, referring to an illustration of like an Olympic Grecian fighter and uh, the trainer would just nail him, you know, to get him ready for combat and get back up again. And that is the Christian life, isn't right. it? And so I think that we need that strong exhortation when we leave. Mm. Um, yes, you're suffering. Get back up, you yeah. know? Yeah. I, I like how you described the, uh, the relationship between the, the, the sharp edge of the law in God's word, which is there for a reason. Mm -hmm. it, it has a function in our life. Um, but then the, the salve of the gospel that, yeah. that heals me, that um, reminds me that uh, I'm hidden in Christ and that his righteousness is mine. Um, we, we do a disservice if we neglect the law. We certainly do a disservice right. if we neglect the gospel. Um, but if we're able to preach the whole counsel of God's word, which is both law and gospel, we've served our people well. Well, it's been great to uh, be here and discuss uh, the theology and, and some of the practice of preaching. I have to confess that my spirit is broken. I've never been as hurt or insulted <laughs> as I have been today when I was likened to Sir Elton Sir John. Sir Elton. Uh, great pianist, disastrous rock star as far as I can make out. So, and by the way, if you ever want to get in touch with, uh, with Dr. Truman, uh, just address him as Elton in those uh, angry emails and he'll get right back with you. Uh, if you do, I guarantee I know where you live, I know where your children go to school, and you will be hearing from me. <laughs> Anyway, this has been The Mortification of Spin, the podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, a casual conversation about things that count. Please visit our website, mortificationofspin.org. Don't forget uh, Amy Bird's website, Housewife Theologian. And we look forward to being with you on the program next time. Thanks for spending time with us. This has been Mortification of Spin a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. We'd like to give you a free resource. Visit our website, mortificationofspin.org, to find a link to the download. Mortification of Spin is a production of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Alliance ministries include reformation21.org, every last word with Philip Reichen, and events held from Florida to Sacramento. To learn more about the Alliance, visit alliancenet.org or call 800 488 1888. We can only continue to bring you Mortification of Spin with your support. To make a donation, please visit mortificationofspin.org 
or call 800-488-1888. Please listen again, and don't forget your free download 